Hey, good morning, everyone. I was, thank you for that prayer, Leanne. I was thinking how uh, uh, most of the week it can, at least in my experience, can feel like just life, everyday life, life in the world feels like you're getting uh, covered in things like isolation and estrangement and skepticism. And it's almost like those pictures out of Abbotsford a few weeks ago of of everything covered in ice as you get kind of frozen in that stuff and so it takes a while to thaw when you come into a place like this and it can this kind of intimacy this kind what we just sang was massive and it's hard to thaw to that kind of reality thankful for our uh, musicians and leaders who are who help us each week uh, to come out of the the cold and to thaw out here together and begin to warm up to what if this is real and God's love is that massive? Uh, good morning to all of you. Uh, good to, to see you. And again, welcome to those of you who are guests uh, with the child dedications. What a week it's been. couple, well, one image from the news. It doesn't uh, really, it's not really worth repeating what the disparaging words are. You probably already heard them. But it's been a week where, again, the public common discourse is about exclusion, belonging, in, out, racism. There's other uh, parallel conversations that are different but related about misogyny and sexual harassment. So it's very much, very alive in the moment. And there's been some really great responses to those disparaging words. Uh, Just a reminder of some of the great writers from fantastic countries who are who are helping us uh, move forward, people like, well, Nelson Mandela, to name one. So it's another week, another week of, I don't know what your response has been, if you've been tracking, if it's just, you know, shaking your head, or if, if it's uh, a deeper level of grief, lament, uh, rage, anger. I think all of these would be appropriate responses. I found uh, my response, to, I, I guess I'd call it yearning, yearning for an alternative, just an alternative a kind of administration, a longing for a different way, a different order, a different future. Philip Yancey uh, has this great reminder, I think, of what that alternative way uh, is for those of us who are interested in Jesus. He writes, Jesus was the first world leader to inaugurate a kingdom with a heroic role for losers spoke to an audience raised on stories of wealthy patriarchs, strong kings, victorious heroes. Much much to their surprise, he honored instead people who have little value in the visible world. The poor, meek, the persecuted, those who mourn social rejects, the hungry and thirsty. His stories consistently featured the wrong people as heroes. The prodigal, not the responsible son, the good Samaritan, not the good Jew... Lazarus, not the rich man, the tax collector, not the Pharisee. And as Charles Spurgeon expressed it, his glory was that he laid aside his glory. And the glory of the church is when she lays aside her respectability and dignity and counts it to be her glory to gather together the outcasts. Uh, This week in particular, that sounded like really good news to me. 
It's a, a fresh reminder about the way of Jesus. And then the calling of the church to practice, to continue that way of surprising and subverting the normal way of things. And this is what we've, we've been seeing last week. Uh, if you're around, this is what we're seeing just even in our first look into Ephesians of uh, Paul trying to exhort and encourage a group of people to not lose sight of this subversive way and how to organize around this very weird kind of glory and how to live in a kingdom with a heroic role for losers. And so if you remember chapter one, we looked at Paul's prayer. He says, praise be to the, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He, and then he goes on to unpack what that blessing is. Again, massive things like to be chosen, adopted, forgiven, redeemed. On and on he goes, and, and he kind of sums it up as all of this was in accordance to the riches of God's grace. He lavished on us. And, and he, he's starting to build this new framework, this whole new way starts and begins with grace. And then in chapter two, he moves on. He says, well, the way forward, the means, the how, is going to be also by grace. And we contrasted that mode uh, compared to other modes in the world. To live, uh, there's lots of ways to live, of course, and it's different to live by grace than it is, say, to live by fear or to live by comparison or live by self-hatred or live by force or dominance, etc. And so we're invited into a new way. It's grace. So just a little sidebar here. Whenever we start talking about grace, it's one of those classic church words. I just have to pause and say, what exactly are we talking about here? When you say grace, because it's like, I know exactly what you're saying. And if that's the response, it might be that you don't exactly know. Uh, sometimes there's a sense when we talk about grace, it's like this. Uh, God was really strict and stern in the Old Testament, like freaky strict. But now, over time, he's loosened up and he, he's mellowed. And thankfully for us, the old rules don't apply anymore. I'm just so glad God's not as uptight. That was, that's freaky. Um, and, and so in that kind of view, grace equals being off the hook. It's leniency. It's kind of turning the blind eye, uh, which leads to all kinds of uh, distortions. One of my working uh, definitions for grace, which I think comes from the scripture, which we'll see, is simply this. Grace equals unmerited favor, plus gifted ability. It's freedom from and it's freedom for. And I, I know this from the scripture, but I also know this from experience. And if you've been around, you know, uh, I've shared before and fairly openly about my own struggle with mental illness, which was really significant in my 20s. And by significant, I mean like a good four-year chunk of like not functioning, whole life coming uh, unraveled. I had, uh, at that point, I had one friend who's my future wife. Uh, so, like, not just not ex really existing, showing up in my own life or anyone else's. But uh, by grace, by counseling, by growth, 
by the healing love of Amy, I, I started to grow, and it was awesome. Emerged into my 30s, we moved to Vancouver and began planting this church. And uh, we had a few kids, and something strange happened. The wheels started falling off again. And this is my uh, definition of depression. You're on your bike, you're wheeling, you don't know that the chain has come off, and so you've got the appearance of motion. And so you're still going. And, and sometimes, depending on how powerful, how competent a bike rider you are, you can do this for a long time, and you fool yourself. I just want to keep doing this. You fool yourself, and you fool other people until you can't carry momentum, and you fall over and get injured and can't get back up. And so this was very shocking to me to be back here again. And it was compounded shame that I thought I was better than depression. <laughs> and it was winning again. I had to go back to counseling. And now I wasn't just an isolated man in a dorm room. I was a man in front of a family who was incompetent and not functioning. And I fell, a plate, fell apart in the context of those relationships. It's hard. Hard to go from high competence to no competence. I'm not, not low, no. <laughs> it's hard to get to an end, the end of coping, the end of being able. And so uh, in that season, Nelson was very gracious to me. He took on more work. I met with our church planting director and said, I need to resign. I, I cannot be a pastor, I'm not fit. Uh, I'm mentally ill. Uh, this isn't working. And he said, I, th I thought for sure he'd say, okay. Uh, but he did not agree with me. And he said, stay. Don't leave artisans, stay. And so the surprise was this. That uh, the suffering, and I don't want to spiritualize mental illness. I'll just say my own experience. That suffering, whatever kind hollows out a new capacity to receive that was not there before. You just get carved. You'll never say yes to that carving on the front end. But on the other side of it, you feel like, I car I, uh, there's, more, uh, there's more room here to receive. And what I received was that at the end of my abilities, I learned how to rely on the abilities of other people. And I, I discovered that love and my worth never in the first place was dependent on my abilities. That, that wasn't the game in the first place. I was loved because I was in the family and I was chosen. And surprise, Amy chose me and still chooses me and chose me through that uh, crazy season. Surprise, Lance, you're loved because you're you. You're in relationship. And so what that did was it made everything then become a gift. Previously, again, I'd been through this. I'd already, I felt like I'd discovered grace already. Uh, I, I read Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace. Done. <laughs> I highlighted lots of it. You know, and uh, I wrote a song called Grace, like expert level. And here I was realizing my operating system has not been that. Because falling apart exposed that. And so in that context, uh, 
I'm going to take a risk, read, read a poem of mine, which is always... Uh, feel like I'm inflicting something on you. I'd like to share a little bit of my own poetry at this moment. But I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to, so that you know, this was the context. This was what was going on uh, when I wrote this poem. It's called An Inventory of No Small Wonders and Peculiar Graces. Yeah. I don't deserve friends in my living room, late at night laughing, or lake swimming in August, or the smell of onions frying in a pan. I make no rightful claim to clean socks, or raspberries, or more than one shade of green. And I've done little to merit bicycle riding or hearing the words, I forgive you. I've never deserved legs. And I cannot justify tasting Thai coconut curries. And I'm not entitled to serotonin and fresh towels even breathing in after it rains. My existence does not warrant Arbutus trees or airplane travel. And I was never old, Miles Davis. I have no right to zebras. I honestly never saw them coming. <laughs> I don't deserve lying naked beside a woman and feeling no shame. And I cannot earn the morning or this light on the leaves read part of that just to embarrass my kids, you know. <laughs> uh, just so that woman was your mother, but <laughs> that probably doesn't make it, that doesn't make it any better. Um, but to live by grace is to be converted into living off a new operating system, to see the world all through the lens of gift, this is a new way to be human. Like how Dallas Willard puts this. We're still in the introduction, by the way, but it's shorter on the other end. Don't worry. Grace, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. And grace is not just about forgiveness. If we had never sinned, we would still need grace. Grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. Grace is what we live by, and the human system won't work without it. The saint uses grace like a 747 jet burns gas on takeoff. Grace is unmerited favor plus gifted ability. This is a lengthy recap, uh, but it's important because Ephesians 1 and 2 is about becoming a person made by this stuff. And, and then there's this shift in chapter 2 where it shifts from grace being a personal dynamic to being a communal dynamic. Because here's the thing. If the grace of God means that God has never and will never treat me as my sins deserve, then why am I often so eager to treat others as theirs deserve? Why is that what I'm looking for? And if my life is entirely made by unmerited favor, why, how could I insist on merit-based systems in the world? And if I've been given unlimited favor because of who Jesus is, then why do I treat grace like I'm rationing it and hoarding it and, and just want to make sure someone's worthy before I give it? See, there's a disconnect then between what has been received and what is going out of a life. And that disconnect brings in the question, has grace, first of all, been received? 
or has it been received deeply? At Ephesians, Paul is wanting to magnify the grace of God to make it bigger than you are giving it credit for and to show God's intentions by giving people grace. So, God, we pray for grace to uh, see. We are, uh, I think, rightly a suspicious people. We're worn out. We live in an age of alternative facts. We are weary from pseudo-truth and half-truth. And so it's hard to get our hopes up that there still is something that's true. Would you work grace this morning, particularly amongst us who are most skeptical about any of this stuff? Pray for grace in the name of Christ. So let's get into our text. I'm eager to look at this along with you. This is Ephesians 3, 1, 2, 9, first of all. And if you have a chair Bible, I'm going chair Bible instead of pew Bible. It's not a pew in this place, and that word sounds awful. Uh, so let's go with the chair Bible. Or if you have an app, you can go there. But let's, let's get into Scripture together. Um, and because and, and, I want you to notice a number of things here. So Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the, the prisoner of, of uh, Jesus, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely... You have heard about the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was, made, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is... That through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. What Paul's saying here is that through this gospel of grace, something unthinkable has happened. Uh, and in fact, something that no one would have predicted is that God's intention is not just for the losers and outcasts and wrong people to receive individual personalized uh, you know, customized portions of grace, but that together and together with Israel, they'll form a new community by grace. You hear what Paul said, that the Gentiles are heirs, members of one body, and sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus. Let's continue on. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And do you hear what he's, what he's doing here? And I, I kept looking at this. I couldn't tell if he was kind of doing that slow, uh, dramatic, kind of theatrical, like draw you in, listen, or like really demonstrative, loud. You just get the sense that this is really big and important. So he's saying the whole thing that we're in on, all of it is grace. Grace for me. He's like, I'm the least likely out of all the apostles to be in here. This is why I kind of think like he's whispering. 
He's like, if I speak too loud, I'll get busted. And other people will realize I don't belong here. I have no credentials. There's some sort of mix up in the invitation. I'm here. You're looking over your shoulder. Can you believe this? And then grace, not just for me, but grace was given me for you. There's grace for you, and there's grace for us, and there's grace for them, whoever your them is. And he's saying, this is an open secret, a mystery that was not known previously is now been made open and, and it's this, based on the work of Jesus, God is rebuilding humanity, the whole thing around unmerited favor. And he's entrusting me to administer grace to you. And this whole community is going to do something very special and unique in the world. What is it, Paul? What's the, what's the administration we're going to be a part of? Any idea what we're going to be administrating? Grace. The mystery is that grace is going to make the community, sustain the community, and be the thing that the community's on about. It will not be centered on nationality, ethnicity, or ideology. It will not be based on tribal politics, privilege, or victimization, or where you're from. It will be centered on Jesus. It will be based on unlimited, unmerited favor. Why? Because uh, he's rich with it. And if we ever run out, we go to him. And he gives us more. That's the plan. That's the whole plan. I'm going to center it not on your various identity markers. I'm going to center this on Jesus who has unlimited, unmerited favor. Whew. Maybe an amen. I don't know if we do that. But I, amen. Okay, a few of us. Good. Let's carry on and pretend that's normal. All right. Verse... Verse 10, and this is, this is the heart. This is the brilliant heartbeat of the passage. Verse 10, powerful statement for why church. I don't know if maybe that was even hanging in the air as you came. Why? What's this for? Is this worth it? This, Paul, verse 10, he's saying, why church? That the rulers and the authorities must be confronted with God's wisdom, and this is to happen through the church. His intent was that now, through the church, I got hung up on that phrase this week, through the church. Maybe you're like me. I can think of a whole lot of things that have come through the church. You can make a long list Patriarchy, elitism, misogyny, sexual abuse, cover-ups, colonialism, specifically the Canadian kind, residential schools. We, we could say there's a lot of things, actually, that have come through the church. And so there's actually a very good reason why my first response is, no, thank you. Uh, I've already been on the receiving end of what comes through the church. Not interested. Skepticism warranted due to that level of pain. And so, uh, if you'll allow me, I don't want to sidestep that or diminish any of that. But I would like you to notice one thing alongside all of that. Verse 10. His intent... 
the many things that come through the church come through the church when people get co-opted by the old order of things where it becomes about merit and achievement and us versus them identity politics when it becomes about power. But the scripture notes God's intent is different. God is wanting to make something known through the church, to put on something on display through a new kind of community, to make God's manifold wisdom known. We need to pause here for a moment and note that this manifold wisdom being known is not primarily through what the church says. It's not through what the church says, even as I'm up here saying things. That's vital. Rather, this is made known through what the church is, namely, a community in which men and women and children of every race, color, social and cultural background come together in glad worship of the triune God saying, we should not be here. I can't believe you're here, and we should not be in this room together but for the grace of God. That's the only way this works. That's the wisdom of God being put on display that when people get grace, when they receive unmerited favor from God and it moves from theological abstraction and it collides with them when they're on the bottom, it begins to transform you and it it doesn't just transform you in your religion, it transforms you in your relationships because that's that's the only place where grace exists. And so, if you are a person who has been graced, you begin to grace. And as forgiveness is received, you start to give it. And as reconciliation becomes yours, you start to gift it. And in this happening, in this context, Paul, and we're going to get to this next week, Paul is saying this can happen in between Jew and Gentile, who at the time are spiritual and cultural enemies. So what's God's manifold wisdom? A community of people that according to the normal of course of things should not be together but for the grace of God. And it's a community that revolves around a new axis. A new axis because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. A new axis of grace. The old order has an axis of power. Axis of power which always leads to violence. Violence like bigotry, exclusion, racism, war. The new axis of grace leads to new forms of peace and bridge building, reconciliation, and embrace. I was reading a uh, Aboriginal author, Caitlin Curtis, and she writes this. She says, there's an entire generation of us trying to decolonize ourselves and actually find the Jesus of the Gospels. I pray we can do it with the help of the church, not in spite of the church. I just realized, I am in, sister. I'm with you. I'm with you. I want that too. I want that in our day. And, And I remembered again then, oh yeah, it's grace that actually decolonizes all of us. It decolonizes us to go, oh, it's not based on merit in the first place. And so... When we hold out the hope of this happening in church, not kind of apart from it, 
This is what the hope has been in saying we want to be a church that practices the way of Jesus together. And if you distill it all down, it's practicing the way of love, which at this point may be eye roll for you. Uh, Frankly, it often is for me. Oh, the way of love. Okay, here we go. More mush, more sentimentality, eye roll. When in fact, (laughs) uh, the way of love is actually the hardest and costliest thing to do. And in fact, only one human being has ever done it. And in fact, he got crucified for doing it. (laughs) This is what Paul is praying, trying to pray and, and teach and exhort the Ephesians to see. God's grace is greater than you're giving it credit. God's, practice the way of love uh, together. I like how Bob Goff puts it really simply. Make loving people a a lot more complicated than Jesus did. Just so simple and Goffian. And uh, as as we discover the grace of God, a couple things happen, which are actually the things Jesus was always on about. We start loving God we realize, you treat me so well. Not once have you treated me as I deserve. And you're the creator behind things I love like serotonin and fresh towels. That's you. You did that. These were your ideas, raspberries. Come on. (laughs) It's cost me six bucks to buy a little clamshell at this time of year, but still, they're good. That was you, and, and you created that. And, and then you, in, in my indifference and my estrangement to you, in my apathy, you, you keep seeking me out, and you keep reconciling it, and you keep holding this relationship up on your end when I'm always dropping it. You are so gracious to me. And that springs up genuine love, not because uh, you have to, or because you're obligated to, it's actually the real thing you love freely. And another thing starts to happen. You start loving one another. There's a hundred one another commands in the New Testament. You start to realize grace received starts to become grace given. And the third thing is then you start loving your neighbor. And this is where it gets all kinds of crazy, Right? When, when love moves from an idea to a practice, it becomes visible. Ideas are invisible. Your doctrine, however you prize it, I can't see it. None of us can. Unless you live it. Unless it is relational. Unless it shows up between people. And where it gets really crazy is when it shows up in between people who should not have a relationship. Love thy neighbor can be like a plaque on grandma's wall. Or it can be a daily invitation to adventure. Love thy homeless neighbor. And thy gay neighbor. And thy straight white male neighbor, and love thy Muslim neighbor, and thy addicted neighbor, and thy person of color neighbor, and thy immigrant neighbor, and thy atheist neighbor, and even thy Christian neighbor, which leads us to this, Ephesians 3, for this reason, 
in light of all we've just been looking at. This is, this is a classic Paul text. People love this one. Let's link it, though, to what we've just been reading. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Okay, we've got a different kind of power going on here. Through his spirit in your inner being. So just let's pause here. Why is Paul praying? Because you're likely to forget. Because you're likely to leave this to an abstraction and not a practice. Because you're going to tend to discount the love of God. Uh, Because I'm going to tend to assume it applies to people like me. Uh, Because I'm going to also assume it doesn't apply to people like me. Uh, Because you're going to want to reduce it and control it and dole it out to those who you think merit it. This is Paul. This is why Paul's praying. Do not sanitize it. Don't sanitize it. He's pressing into prayer here, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, that's the point. (laughs) Life together is a group of people who are first being changed by grace by the unmerited favor and unfailing love of God. And that primary relationship reorients every other relationship to be one of grace. And then grace becomes the overriding pattern and way in the world. The way you relate is by grace. And at its most basic and revolutionary, this means becoming a person who receives love that is wide, high, deep, Like, yeah, uh, like, okay, oceanic, receiving that love, and then directing that back through your life over and over and over. It's that simple and that revolutionary. And what's the result? The glorious display, the manifold wisdom of God is being put on display and it's announcement to the rulers and the authorities, both earthly and spiritual ones, who tend to create societies and structures in their own flat, one-color, monochromatic, uniform, one-dimensional way. And worse, they tend to marginalize or kill people or groups that do not align with their acceptable one way. And the church is to be, by definition... A warning to them that time's up. Time's up. It may not feel like it, but time is coming. It's rolling in where the old order has been overthrown. Not by the church, but by Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Not by us trying to find out how do we have more people of color and artisan. It's by grace. It's by grace that we are going to become a a church that displays the manifold uh, wisdom of God and announces time's up on the old order. And that proclaims it to Lance. Time's up, Lance. Time's up. You keep acting like this is based on your gifts. You keep thinking you're earning this. Time's up. Time's up, man. Live into grace. Move on from the old order. Time's up. Mm. Mm. How are we doing? We're doing good. Where are you, Scott? Yeah. Scott is our pastor of community formation. Scott has a unique window into our church. Uh, I'm guessing most of you know Scott or have had contact with Scott because this is uh, uh, part of Scott's grace. Uh, What he's been gifted with is like having a huge container for people and making connections and loving people and caring for people. And so part of the way Artisan's been graced and gifted is this man and his ministry. So thankful for Scott. Uh, He's got a unique vantage point because he helps administrate and lead our neighborhood groups. And so I asked Scott to share a little bit. What are you seeing in terms of grace moving in our community? How are we being graced? And as he does that, Julia put together a slideshow of a few pictures of this community. And uh, so we'll just kind of have those going in the background and uh, maybe try and spot some visual, visible grace even as uh, Scott talks. Yeah, uh, I've heard Mother Teresa said uh, once that uh, the problem with the world today is that we draw our circle of family too small. And neighborhood groups, and it's not limited to neighborhood groups. I know people are doing this outside of neighborhood groups in this church, but uh, that's one way that we extend our circles beyond just ourselves. And there is a whole host of radical leaders who are committed to this idea of extending the circle of family. I feel like I have to get them to stand right now to, sh- to just give a shout out to all of the neighborhood group leaders. If you lead a neighborhood group, would you please stand up where you are so we can just acknowledge you guys? Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, there's so many stories I could go on forever talking about how uh, ways uh, people have moved, like Lance said, taking love from an idea to a practice. And what did you say? Moving from an idea to practice, it gets physical. Uh, and the physical reality of love is that we help uh, each other. We, when someone needs to move, we lend a helping hand. When someone has a baby, we help bring meals when someone is sick, we bring them cough medicine. When someone is distressed, we help comfort them. And I've seen this time and time again. It's, it's really emotional, actually, to see the window of the church through this perspective, through neighborhood groups. And I have the privilege of co-leading a group with my wife, Aubin, and with Nathan and Vanya Hoskins. And uh, they have, against my will, named the group the McNuggets. <laughs> and that's okay, I guess. Kind of weird, but... Uh, we have just, we've seen time and time again, we've now been a group, this is our fourth year as a group, and uh, just times where 
people are moving uh, from love just being an idea to practice. And just this week, through we have a McNuggets feed, a group chat on Instagram, and someone shouted out, and this is un- not uncommon in our group, uh, we got really sick. Our, our baby daughter is fine. She had the flu, but she passed it on to us now, and we're sick. She, she's fine. We, we need help with our kid. And with, before I even checked the message, I saw like five responses and people chiming in. We, we can get out to you. We can grab you. We can grab Lucy and hang out with her. And no problem. We'll be there. And uh, so they're like, great. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you need? Oh, yeah. On the way to the hospital, uh, she, when she was sick, she was throwing up all over us. And we have, we have puke all over our clothes. We could use some more clothes and maybe a bit of food. Like, yeah, yeah, no problem. We'll bring shirts and granola bars to the hospital. And this is all had happened. I hadn't even orchestrated anything. It just happened because we were living uh, in this little spiritual family in Vancouver. And like I said, there's millions of stories I could say, but that's just one. And I know they're happening in these groups. And some are just forming. And I want to just give an encouragement or an invitation to join a neighborhood group. There's still some space, especially in Mount Pleasant, we have a few groups with some space in them. And then um, we also have a new group starting in North Van. So opportunity to extend your circle of family a bit. Thanks, McNugget. There's, uh, there's so much grace that has been given to this church. And so it's good this morning to remind ourselves all the gifts. I'm thinking of the gifts of, of Japanese Hall. Just, uh, I don't want to get over that. I don't want us to get over the gift of getting to be here. Thinking of things like the gift of Julia Kochuk, who uh, serves so well behind the scenes. Uh, I don't think I've seen her have a bad attitude. Uh, It's phenomenal. Thinking of the gift of uh, my friendship with Kathy Kwan over this last year, in particular her patience, kindness to me. Thinking about the gift of the Mogan Neighborhood Group. Good stories bubbling out of there. Think about the gift of Adriana Boschman. Just presence, the gift of her. Telling me she has cheese and snacks. That's a gift. I want to know about that. I'm thinking about the gift of being in the downtown east side. A gift that I think we're still just barely starting to unravel and open. The gift where in this neighborhood of all neighborhoods, we learn the way of community and reciprocity and neediness and therefore grace. Can't wait to open that more with all of you. I'm thinking about the gift for us to be in Vancouver still. We're still here. We're, st- we're still here. We haven't moved yet. At least some of us have been able to find some rent. We're still here. Thinking of the gift of Leo McTaggart's hair, which always delights. It's just so fine, fuzzy. I'm thinking of the, the gift. I'm not ending on that one, but that is, it's in there. The gift of, as Liano invited us this morning, the gift of being at rest in a grace-based relationship. There's nothing to prove and nothing to protect. I am who I am. What a gift this morning to come to the table where we actually metabolize grace so that we can become it. This is good news. This is a good practice. 
And if that's what you want to orient your life around, again, this table is for those who need it. If you want to orient your life to continue to receive grace so that it becomes physical through you, please come to the table. There'll be two lines down the center. There's a gluten-free option over on this side on the corner. You can receive a piece of bread, dip it in the wine, which is in the white cup, juice in the great cup. Prayers of the people. If you want to write a prayer, we'll collect those prayers and read them together later on in the gathering. If you would like someone to pray with you, if you uh, feel particularly a need for grace this morning or for somebody else or just grace over the world, uh, come and we'll have people that will join and pray along with you. It takes neediness and humility to do that, but I think maybe even having it at the front of the room is a good practice because it requires us to stoop a little bit and come uh, needy. So, uh, and of course, you're welcome just to sit in your chair. If you're a parent, though, you're not. You have to go and get your kids. Um, oh, at the risk of being ridiculous, I am going to require grace here and just ask, does anyone have gum? You don't have gum? You faked me out. Faked me out, Sky. Don't do that to me. I need gum. Okay, I'll come later. I, that's me relying, and just for your, all your all's sake, having some gum. Okay. Let's uh, remind ourselves of these words. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread.